We are constantly talking about the NHL players of the present, but not as much on the players of the future. And with hockey on the back burner and major junior hockey in Canada canceling its playoff season, we'll probably see a lot of prospects and free agents sign within the coming weeks, and we've seen it already to an extent. Which NHL teams are in good position for the long term, and which prospects could be key pieces at the pro level? Episode 212 of the Lace Them Up podcast starts right now. And now, it's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Dubuff. Today, Brett, we are slipping into the future and talking about the NHL players of tomorrow and in three years, who could be playing pivotal roles for their teams. And we're going to start with Arizona, Anaheim, and Boston. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, this is a little bit exciting here because we never really, like, we always... I think the only times we really ever talk about prospects is during the draft and stuff. Um, I'm a big, I've started to go to a lot of like BC and Northeastern games. So I know a little bit more about college hockey. Steve's always talking about the OHL to me. Uh, He's in fact, this year you were more excited about the 67s than the, um, than the senators Um, for good reason. Yeah. Um, But uh, but yeah, we never really get a chance to talk about prospects in general other than um, just behind the scenes stuff and, and all that stuff. So um, so yeah, with, with this new break, um, it is a good gives us a good chance to talk about prospects some more. Um, a couple of these guys we have like because of the draft stuff, we've like we probably talked about a couple of these guys when they were drafted and stuff so it is kind of cool to get a glimpse into how they're doing um now so um so i we're gonna start off with talking about three different uh three teams every week um alphabetically so our first uh one is anaheim then we're talking about arizona and boston um we're gonna do three next week um, in that order, I think it's uh, Buffalo, would be Buffalo, Calgary, and Colorado next week. No. Nope. Oh, Carolina. Carolina. Buffalo, uh, Calgary, Carolina. You got it. Um, there's a lot of teams that start with C. Um, so, um, so yeah, let's let's get going here. Um, so we're gonna phrase this all. So we have five uh, prospects that we're gonna talk about. Obviously, there's plenty of prospects around the world, but um, but these are the ones that we think are going to make an immediate impact, or could make an an impact in three years or less, or something like that. So we're going to discuss them um, if they're going to like reach their potential or not, um, and these are all like high level guys um, and stuff like that. So we're going to start with Anaheim, um, and we're also because we're trying to project what their team's going to look like in three years. Um, I have their, um, I have their cap friendly page. So we're going to start with the Anaheim Ducks cap friendly situation here. Um, 
Yeah, so next year or this offseason, uh, they have Sonny Milano, uh, Christian Juice, and Jacob Larson as RFAs. Um, and then they have Michael Delzato, uh, Matt Irwin, and Ryan Miller as UFAs, um, which will be interesting. Um, and then what really, when their team starts to get a little bit more uh, organizationally wise, they have to think about is they have Ryan Getzlaff, who's going to be a UFA in 2021, uh, same as David Backus, although I assume he's, you know, he'll retire at that point. Um, Carter Rowney um, is also a UFA. And then they have uh, Max Jones and Sam Steele as RFAs. Um, oh, and a, another thing, because those guys have played more. We The cutoff for us is 40 games in the NHL, um, and they're not prospects um, anymore. So that's why we're not talking, we're not going to be talking about Max Jones or Sam Steele. Um, and uh, Andrew Agazzino is also a UFA, uh, but those are the only two that they have there um, in terms of free agents. But that's still like Ryan Getzlav is going to be a UFA in a couple years, which is why um, it's kind of interesting because we have um, a couple of centers here on in our pick here. So um, I try to do it with like the ones who had the most talent. Um, but, or the most potential here. Um, so I'm gonna start off with the ninth overall pick. Um, the guy who went to Boston University, Trevor Zegris. Um, and it was kind of, I remember like just reading about this beforehand, before the draft, like, you know, there was some talk that Trevor Zegris was gonna be picked in the fifth, like fifth, like in the top five. And then he kind of slipped um, to be drafted ninth overall. So Trevor Zegris, falls to ninth um, and he's in a good situation considering what I just talked about where Ryan Getzlaff um, is going to be a UFA in a couple years. Um, Adam Henrique is the only other center that he has to really compete with in the long term is really Adam Henrique. Um, so he could conceivably be a, a first line center um, in a couple years. Uh, but first off, um, he, uh, he had 36 points in 33 games at Boston University his freshman year. Um, and he also had nine assists in five games at the World Juniors. Um, and I, so I think he's, he is kind of like just the fact that he has a lot of assists. Um, even back in the U.S. national team, which he played for last year, uh, he had a, a lot more assists than he had goals. Um, so he's going to be like a little bit of a playmaker instead of a, a goal scorer, which is fine, which is a lot like how Ryan Getzlaff plays. Um, so I think he could be the potential replacement for uh, Ryan Getzlaff in the future. Yeah, you talk about uh, Trevor Zegers, and we mentioned the nine assists. They were all primaries at yep. the World Juniors. That's what everyone was raving about Trevor Zegers. You don't see a guy not only compiling that many assists, but primary assists, all of them primary. Like, that's just something we haven't seen before at the highest level. And I think it had only been done once before since 2004 or, or some, some weird stat like that. Um, and 
like that includes the 2005 tournament where Canada just flat out killed everybody. So right. uh, just goes to show you how impressive of a tournament that it was. And Bob Murray, the Ducks GM, when he signed Trevor Zegras, he said he has a quite a ways uh, ahead of him, but they feel that he has the talent and the intelligence to be an impactful NHL player. And Zegras this year was all about him getting stronger, getting himself more ready to play at the NHL level. And you take a look at the stats and the skill that's already there. You're looking at a guy on a team with Jack Hughes and a 70 goal scorer in Cole Caulfield. He was, I believe, third in the U.S. National Development Program last year in scoring, over 60 assists, over 80 points. And then he goes into his first year of college hockey. He is, I believe, the third-ranked scorer on his team. Yeah, yeah. But, but the other guys that were ahead of him have all played college hockey for more years than Zegras. Yep. There's not a doubt in my mind. If he doesn't turn pro and he continues onwards in Boston College or, or, or no, Boston University, sorry. Um, there's not a doubt in my mind he could flat out dominate NCAA hockey if he stuck around. Yeah. There's not a doubt he would have a dominant season pretty soon. And it's it's just a matter of continuing to elevate his game, and that's going to come with confidence and experience. Well, to I, answer, I, sorry, I can't on. say I can't say enough promising things about this kid, and the sky's the limit for him. What also really caught my attention is that if you take a look at his frame. You, you could you could argue that it needs a bit of work, but you can always add some more muscle. Um, it's tough to add pure skill to your game. Yep. And and Zegras definitely possesses that skill. He also has versatility. He says, if they need me on the wing, I'll play the wing. If they need me at center, I'll play down the middle, no problem. Yep. And that's and that's the thing with Anaheim. They have some question marks down the middle but they also have some question marks on the wings so having a guy that is comfortable with playing either wing or center definitely makes bob murray's job a little bit easier and it'll be interesting to see how that shapes up uh if i had to take an educated guess he could be a future candidate for the number one center um like you said getzlav whether it's uh, him hitting free agency or nearing retirement, the end of mm. his prime. Um, he's not going to be in Anaheim for much longer. I think a lot of us know that. Uh, you also have uh, Sam Steele getting significant sure. ice time in the big leagues. Um, yeah, and Adam wrong. Henrique's still going to be in the fold three years from now. Uh, but down the road, they're going to need a guy like Trevor Zegers to really, really, really step up. Uh, but for right now, if he wants to get an extra leg up probably the wing is his best option to start because it's it, with the wing anaheim needs help now yeah not in a couple of years they need help right now well that's where i kind of disagree with you because we're going to be talking about a couple of the prospects and we're not even mentioning guys like max jones sam Steele, um 
like even Sonny Milano is kind of a prospect in his own right. Um, so like they're in a rebuilding phase already. Um, and I think in a couple of years, once all these prospects do, um, do, uh, sorry, uh, do develop the way that they should, um, then I think they'll, you know, I think they will be in, um, in a good shape in like the coming years. Like we haven't even mentioned Ricard Raquel, who's their best player, um, forward, I should say, uh, cause John Gibson is, John Gibson is their best player, but, um, you know, I think in a couple of years, if all these players that we're talking about right now are like live up to their expectation or even just a little bit below that, I think they're in good shape. Um, and also just a couple of things before we go on to our next guy. Um, uh, some things to note here is that you, uh, just to call back from what you were saying is, uh, so Boston, you were right, Boston University's, um, Trevor Zegris had the third most points of the uh, Boston University players. Um, and David Ference and Patrick Harper are those two guys. Um, they're both Nashville uh, Predators prospects. Um, and you're right, also right that they're both juniors and seniors. Um, and the other thing to make note about that, though, is even though all three of those guys have like a point per game, you'd think they'd be pretty good. In fact, they weren't really. They were. They went 13, 13, and eight um, in college, um, and they were ranked like 30th in the whole country. So uh, they. It's kind of interesting that like Zeg guys like Zegers and Ference and Harper were able to do like put up so many points when their their the rest of the team wasn't so good. Um, so I think that's kind of interesting. I think I think part of it is the qualities that uh, Zegers yeah. uh, also brings. Um, taking a look at his scouting report, uh, has a knack for getting under the skin of opponents, kind of yeah. like a Ryan Kessler in a way. Yeah. A guy with a lot of offensive upside, but just really pisses you off. Yeah, and he, just, he he's not afraid to go anywhere. Like he'll do anything to get a leg up on the competition. And this guy will excel in key roles and perform under pressure if he has that mindset. Yeah, and it's a little, and also, uh, before we go to the next point, but um, the also, uh, Trevor Zegras signed an entry-level contract uh, this week mm -hmm. as well. So he, that means that he can't play in the uh, NCAA anymore. So uh, Yeah, no, he's, he's turning pro. He's turning pro. Um, so we'll, we'll probably see him mostly in the AHL, but... Um, at least we'll, um, so I, I'm usually a little bit cautious with college guys cause I want to see how they do in the AHL. So I think mm -hmm. next year is going to be a true test to see how good he actually is, um, in the AHL with a tougher competition. Um, sure. so the next guy is already in the NHL. Um, and he, uh, as, as you were mentioning with Zegris, like, uh, this guy also um, has been known to be like a bit of a agitator, a Corey Perry type player. Because um, I remember during the World Juniors last year when Maxime Comtois, the guy we're talking about now, um, would uh, like just always be in every single fight, every single brawl. Whenever there was a brawl going on in, for Team Canada, somehow he was involved in it. 
Um, he did really well last year in the World Juniors. Uh, six points in five games. Um, then he goes to uh, San, uh, uh, AHL this year, um, and he has 24 points in 31 games for San Diego goals. Uh, nine of those were goals. Um, and then he plays a couple of games in Anaheim, because um, I guess Anaheim's in the moment where they're just seeing what they have in these prospects and just giving them some experience while they're already out of it in the playoffs. So um, so they have, uh, uh, Comtois has 11 points in 29 games for the Anaheim Ducks, which is kind of impressive too, considering that he, um, he had 13 minutes of ice time um, on average this year, um, this year in those 29 games. So he's, he's not doing too badly, even with not that much ice time, which I think is kind of cool. Um, yeah, and he was, he was a pretty good got, uh, player in uh, the QMJHL last year too, uh, but I think he could, like as you were mentioning before, uh, Anaheim is kind of struggling with wingers um, other than Ricard Raquel. So I think uh, Comtois could be a guy for them in their top six in the coming years. Yeah, and I think Comtois is probably a guy that chimes in. I don't know if he's the guy that like dictates the pace, but if you put him in a position with a lot of talent, and you give him chances to score, he's going to cash in. Um, you take a look at the 2017-18 season when Victoriaville had a top three power play in 42 wins, over 270 goals scored. Yeah. Comtois had 44 goals and 185 shots in 54 games that season, 85 points for the fifth most in the queue that year. And that was when uh, Alexis Lafreniere notched 80 points as a rookie. So... That just goes to show you how good um, Comtois was and, I guess, how good Lafrentine was at such a young age. Um, a part of the reason why Comtois was so good is he had a lot of good talent around him. Um, you look at Vitaly Abramov, he had 45 goals. That's one better than Comtois. And um, you, you take a look at... Maxime Comtois the year before, there was this Russian import named Ivan Kosarenkov, who surpassed 30 goals, 60 points, and 10 power play goals as a right winger. Comtois' numbers dipped a little bit from his rookie season because Kosarenkov was taking advantage of his chances more often than Comtois was. So if you put him in a position to succeed, he's definitely going to take advantage. Um, I also think... He needs to continue its evolution year by year. Usually the first year, maybe the second year, is getting his feet wet, he's getting accustomed, and then he really takes off after that. So now the test is going to be, okay, what's he going to do in the AHL next year? 24 points in 31 games, that's pretty good. We want to see him really take over the AHL. So it'll be interesting if in the next three years he's done enough of that where he's a key member of the Ducks offense, but... His first 10 NHL games, he got seven points. There's definitely potential there. He plays with an edge, like you said. And with a lot of talent at their disposal, the Ducks appear to be in pretty good position. They just need to develop their talent. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, 
So the next guy, we talked about the center depth that Anaheim has and something in the future. Uh, so the next guy is Isaac Lundestrom. Um, and he's another, he's there, uh, he was the 2018 first round draft pick. Um, he, there's not really too much about him that, um, or like just beforehand, I don't feel like he has a ton of buzz on him. Um, but like, I'm just looking at his elite prospects page here. Um, you know, he had, uh, uh, he played for the Swedish hockey league. He had nine points in 17 games last year. The year before that, he had 15 points in 42 games in the SHL. Um, and then in the World Juniors last year, uh, he had four points in five games. He also played a couple of games in the NHL last year, too. Um, he had two assists in 15 games. Um, and then he played some in San Diego, the AHL team. Um, and he had six points, uh, six assists in those in 12 games. Uh, this year, he's played more games in San Diego than Anaheim. Um, he had 15. Uh, he played in 15 games for the Anaheim Ducks. I believe that was early on in the year. But uh, he had four assists there um, in 15 games. Um, and then uh, he played for San Diego uh, for the rest of the time. And in 43 games, he has 21 points in that league. So I feel like he's going to take a little bit of time. Uh, to, to develop, but like we mentioned before, it's like they have Zegris in the system. We don't know how he's going to fare once he's in the league. Hopefully, he has a lot of hype to him, though. Uh, Sam Steele has been pretty good um, so far in terms of centers. Of course, you have Ryan Getzlaff, but he's going to be a UFA in a couple years, as well as the fact that he's 34 years old. So I could conceivably see Isaac Lundestrom be um, in the league in a couple of years. Um, but I don't know if he'll necessarily be in the top six. I think he will most likely just be in the bottom six. Um, this is assuming that Zegris and Sam Steele, um, live up to their potential. Yeah. And that's the key, right? And yeah. I think the fact they have so much young talent battling for these spots is going to create healthy competition, which is what you need from a young team. You need guys battling for a position because if you have competition, healthy competition within your team and it pushes everyone else to be better, when you're going up against other competition, that's what you want. You want your guys in a better position to beat them. And you need to kind of instill that competitive nature. And what better way to do that than get a couple of competitions, whether it be down the middle or on the wings. Um, in terms of uh, what Isaac Lundestrom is capable of, this is why I find it a bit tougher to evaluate the talent level of European players because you're often looking at speed, skill, big game performance more than just the offensive stats because right. in some cases you're playing in a league with men, not yeah. in junior hockey with like 16, 17, 18, 19 year olds or whatever. Right. You're, you're playing in a league amongst men like say Matthews in his draft year over in Switzerland. Right. Um, I think it'll probably take him four to five years before we could see what he's capable of at the NHL level. And like you said, I'm not even sure it's in the top six, depending on how things shape up. But um, who knows? Maybe he proves us both wrong and he turns out to be 
yeah. a top line player for them. I mean, but, um, I don't want to like. It, it, we still need yeah. to see more. Yeah, I don't want to trash him because he did. He has played well in the AHL, um, which is you know not nothing. Um, I just like just knowing what we know about Segris and how Sam Steele has been performing. I think we can kind of say like, oh, well, maybe Lundstrom won't like be given as many chances as those two guys we're talking about. But yeah, we'll and, and uh, unfortunately for Lundstrom, he's the product of being in a different situation right. because Zegras and Comtois have played North American hockey their entire lives. That's true. a whole new learning curve for a guy who's played in Europe for most of his life. Yeah. Um, that's true. So maybe it will be a couple more years before we see what he's really capable of. Um, yeah. I will say, though, that the hockey news, I have the hockey news present here, by the way, their prospect guy just came out here. Uh, they do say that Isaac Lundestrom will be in the NHL in 2020, 2021. Uh, so next mm-hmm. season. So that is kind of interesting. But um, and then they have Zegris coming out at 2021 and 2022. So that's in two years, um, which is kind of interesting. Um, to yeah, I, I think I think for Zegris, you really need to like yeah. give him a full year to just dominate and torch a league and then yeah. bring him up. I yeah. think that would really help his confidence. Especially since Anaheim is at the point where, like, especially this year, where they are not that good. Um, yeah, they, they got nothing to lose. Yeah, so they they can try to, like, you know, develop their players and see what they have in all these different prospects. I mean, that's the good news is that they have a lot of prospects, um, good prospects, but, um, you know, now it's just the actual development aspect of it and yeah. figuring that out, um, which is kind of interesting, too, because I noticed Isaac Lundestrom, I thought for some reason the Ducks had, like, a higher draft pick, in 2018, but it turns out like you know, Isaac Lundstrom was like a 21st, went 22nd overall or something like that. Um, 23rd overall, sorry. Um, just looked at my notes here. Um, and so I think that's kind of interesting that this is like the, f- and then last year they stunk enough to be in the top 10 in the draft. Um, so this is going to be another year where they're not, they're probably going to get a, another high draft pick as well. So that's also something to think about because um, they could potentially get Lafreniere as well. Um, all right. Uh, so the other two guys that we're going to talk about are um, are both in the uh, QM, are, are both in the CHL, uh, but not the one that Steve this league that Steve knows really well. Uh, so we're first going to talk about uh, Braden Tracy. Um, he was also drafted in 2019 in the first round. Um, I believe he was a part of the, I think it's, so I guess that was the Bruins pick. That's a 29th overall. Um, I think that would be in place of the, I don't know, doing, trying to figure this out here. I guess it's the Capitals. I don't know. Um, anyways, uh, Braden Tracy um he he's been doing really well in the whl and which is impressive too considering that he was traded um in the middle of the season um and so overall so he played for both moose jaw and victoria um but in total um he had 61 points in 52 games 
Um, and like Seagrass, it's one of those things that like he's doing well in the um, in the CHL, but I would like to see what he can do in this um, the AHL um, and how he plays there because that's just another level up um, in terms of competition. But um, that is still pretty impressive and something that um, is worth noting. He is a left winger, um, so that is something that's also to keep note of considering the Ducks pretty much have Raquel, Jacob Silverberg in the system. I guess maybe Sonny Milano who has some stuff, Danton Heinen as they got in the trade deadline too. So, um, and Max Jones as well in terms of left wing. So maybe they'll like move him around um, once he gets into the league. But um, I found that interesting that he um, is, uh, He's doing pretty well in the WHL. Yeah, if, when you take a look at the guys that were picked in the later stage of the first round, um, I'm sure with your Bruins, which we'll talk about later, we'll talk about one of those um, picks they got in uh, the later stages of round one uh, in Vancouver. Um, yeah. You have to remember that Arthur Kaliev was still available, Patrick, or not Patrick, Lebo, Raphael Lebois, where both of those guys were available and both were snubbed by all 31 teams in the first round of the draft. So you look at Braden Tracy and just thinking, why did they not draft Kaliev or why did they not draft um, Raphael Lavoie and they draft this Braden Tracy guy? Well, what, what can he do? Well, a part of the reason why people are wondering why he was a first round pick he was a 17 year old just finishing up his first season in the whl if he was drafted a year or two from now i would argue he could be a top 15 pick um in in the draft if you look at his stats in 2018-19 he led all whl rookies in scoring with 81 points in 66 games uh he overall in whl scoring he was 16th um, his 36 goals were 19th most in the league, and of course, tops amongst rookies. Also, had 12 power play goals. What's interesting is that during that 2018-19 season, the team that Braden Tracy was on also had these two guys named Tristan Langan and Justin Almedia. They were second and third, respectively, in WHL scoring when Tracy was a rookie they had 33 power play goals combined 250 plus shots apiece both surpassed 110 points langan had 53 goals so those two guys were getting a lot of the minutes and you had a guy like Braden tracy in a bit of a secondary role and last year he was kind of playing the role that Jack Quinn of the 67s was playing this year where he wasn't getting that much top line minutes, but he was still producing and he was still getting a lot of attention. So that was a pretty good rookie season. He didn't have the numbers this year, but he was traded to the Victoria Royals who, uh, if you take a look at the standings, aren't really miles ahead of the team that Braden Tracy left behind when he was traded. Like they were just like, I think eight games above 500 and their power play wasn't all that great either. So 
given the fact that Braden Tracy didn't have much to deal with, he did his best. So it'll be interesting to see how he evolves his game beyond this year. Uh, maybe his two-way game improves a little bit. But um, I, th- I think he's got a bright future. I don't know what it's going to look like in three years. But I think he's he's got a chance. Um, and when we likely go into three years from now, he's probably going to be learning how to make an impact at the AHL level. And at that point, uh, the Ducks will review his development and go from there. But um, I definitely think he will stop by for least a season or two in the AHL before he turns pro full-time, if he does. I haven't even heard of those guys you mentioned on um, <laughs> on the uh, on Moose Jaw. Um, oh, no, not Moose Jaw. The, uh, the other one. Um, sorry, Victoria. So, <laughs> that's interesting. Oh. Oh. Um, Alright, and then lastly we have here Benoit Olivier Gruel. I believe that's how you pronounce his name. Um, but he was another one who got traded in the middle of the year this year um, um, in the QMJHL. Uh, his stats are... Uh, so he went to... I think he was originally from Halifax, and then he went to Mockton. Um, and he did. He played well for both of them um, so far, although I guess since the season's over... Uh, we can say he's played well for both of them. Uh, he had 78 points in 55 games, um, and he is a center as well, although, um, again, kind of like Lundestrom, we know that Zegris is in the system. We know that Sam Steele has been playing pretty well. Um, you know, they also have Adam Henrique for a bit, so it's, it's going to be tough to see how he's going to do until we we see what he's like in the AHL. I have a feeling we're going to be saying that for a lot of these guys. <laughs> yeah, with, with Drew, um, it, he's another interesting case because in his rookie season with the Halifax Mooseheads, the Mooseheads, they were recovering from all of the glory years with Nathan McKinnon and Jonathan Drew, and they were slowly rebuilding their lineup and they had a bottom five power play for most of 2016-17. Grew still scores eight of his 17 goals with the extra man as yeah. a rookie and he finishes with 31 points. So making the most of his opportunities as a rookie, Halifax gets better in 2017-18. Grew is one of the many players on that Halifax roster that is able to raise his game. He scored eight power play goals in his second year, but added 11 total goals to his overall goal total. So he had 28 goals in his second year. Um, In 2018-19, the Halifax Mooseheads, no matter what, we're going to Memorial Cup because when you're the host, you can do that. And still, Drew was one of the best players one of the best scorers in the entire quebec major junior league he had a 30 goals season 31 goals to be precise um 80 points as well 14 power play goals nine game winners so a pretty banner year for him there unfortunately didn't end the way halifax wanted it to but still a pretty good season for him um this year grew started as the captain for the moose heads 
wouldn't spend the entire year in Nova Scotia. He gets traded to the Moncton Wildcats. Um, so basically goes from out east to, I guess, somewhere less out east in right. New Brunswick. Um, plays very well for the Wildcats. He um, posted 14 goals, 37 points, 118 shots in 29 games. Um, the shooting percentage was a bit down after the trade, but before the trade, he was averaging 3.58 shots per game. And when he went to Moncton, that average shot up to 4.07 shots per game. So he was getting a lot more chances uh, to pad his stats. Um, if you take in his skills and the good habits and doing the little things right, being a solid two-way player, it definitely bodes well for Gru. Um, but again, probably going to need some AHL grooming at some point. The fact that he is near the end of his junior stages um, probably gives him maybe an extra year, maybe an extra two years to make that NHL jump because he's almost done junior. Um, yeah. Unlike Braden Tracy, who only just started his junior career about a year or so ago. So, um, yeah, I definitely think there is potential for Gru to be an impact player as well. Um, it's just entirely in his hands. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he has been playing well in the QMJHL and I think in the past too. So, um, you know, not just this year. So I think uh, that that could lead to him being an uh, impact player. But of course, we need to see what he uh, does in the AHL um, and then maybe eventually the NHL. Um, okay, so now we're talking about the Arizona Coyotes. We're on to our next team. Uh, so uh, that was fun. Uh, that was 40 minutes. Uh, <laughs> just talking about one team. So that's going to give us a, a bit of a marker for how we how we do it. Um, to be fair, I think I think the Ducks were the toughest to digest of the three. Yeah, and also it's like, you know, Everyone's at home. Who cares how long this episode's going to be? <laughs> um, so, uh, Arizona, uh, let's start with their cap-friendly friend page here. Uh, they have, uh, so next year, or this offseason, they have Carl Soderberg, uh, Taylor Hall, of course, um, and Brad Richardson, who are going to be UFAs. Um, and then you have Vinny Hinestroza and Christian Fitcher and Ilya... Laibushkin as RFAs um, and then next year is where it gets kind of interesting because they have a, a couple of UFAs um, there and RFAs that are uh, noteworthy um, so Derek Stepan, uh, Michael Grabner um, and then you have four defensemen here uh, with Alex Golgoski Nicholas Jarlmelson um, I can't pronounce people's names apparently Jason Demers and Jordan Osterley for are all going to be UFAs in 2021 um, and then you have uh, Antti Ranta is going to be a UFA in 2021 um, Darcy Kemper is going to be a UFA in 2022 um, uh, which is also when Phil Kessel will be a UFA um, Lawson Krauss will be an RFA at that point and so will Barrett Hayden just actually, conveniently, going to be the first guy we're going to talk about, Barrett Hayden. Um, he just made our... Oh, no. He, what, a, what a well... 
What a well-planned segue that was. I know, I know. I didn't even mean to, but I, I did. Um, so, Barrett Hayden uh, is kind of interesting here because he's not even in the hockey news prospect list. Um, and as as Cap Friendly has him on the pro roster, but he's only played 20 games in the NHL so far. Um, and he also played in the World Juniors. He was the captain for Canada. Um he had 12 points in seven games, so that's pretty good. Um, and uh, when he was playing for uh, the uh, Tucson Roadrunners, the AHL team, this year he had five points in five games. Um, and then um, in the NHL, he had four points in 20 games um, for the Arizona Coyotes. Uh, and then he got injured. I think you were saying that. I think it was like a shoulder thing, right? Or am I making it up? Um, I don't know for sure, but I, I remember it impacted his ability to shoot the puck. It was uh, before the gold medal game against Russia. And okay. there was a lot of debate whether or not he could have a good... Which rips a laser and he ties the game. Uh-huh. Like, that... Like, it, there's you can talk about his skill which we will talk about in a bit but he showed some resiliency and some leadership in that tournament yeah. that i'm sure if you're in arizona you gotta like yeah for sure and then um i was just gonna mention the fact that he was drafted fifth overall in 2018 um which is impressive mm-hmm. and that shows how much they really thought about him um in that draft um but like considering the fact that guys like Philip Zadina and Quinn Hughes, who were supposedly and in a lot of draft boards, were supposed to be like in the top five there, so it was kind of a surprise that they picked Barrett Hayden. Um, so just based, I mean, you can't really base a ton of stuff on the World Juniors, and of course, Quinn Hughes we talked about last week um, is phenomenal now. Philip Zadina has been good when he uh when he was healthy for detroit so it's it's kind of like interesting where i think barrett hayden will be compared to those guys um in the future um just because it's like oh the coyotes picked hayden over zadina and hughes um was that the smart move and that's something that can only be answered in hindsight um but having said that like he he did play really well in in that world juniors um, and um, and although he had four points so far in 20 games in Arizona, you have to remember the fact that he is 19 years old um, and the fact that he had 11 minutes of ice time on average um, in those 20 games. So that's something that you can't, like it's a pretty small sample size. But I think just going over their cap friendly page, it's like they're... Arizona does not have a ton of forwards. Um, Clayton Keller's good, obviously. Phil Kessel's good, too. Who knows with Taylor Hall if he's going to be on the team next year. Um, but they, like, pretty much the top six is all, um, maybe I guess maybe, like, to- the top five. The top six has um, a lot of room uh, for anybody to get in there. Um Except for, like, you know, Clayton Keller's pretty much in there already in terms of the top six lines. But 
Like the rest of them are up for grabs is kind of what I'm saying. Um, I guess Connor Garland's been good too, but anyways, I'm getting sidetracked here. Um, so, um, so I think Barrett Hayden could have the potential to be that top line center. Um, especially considering like Derek Stepan is their top line center at the moment. So I think they have some uh, leeway in that regard. Yeah. I, and like, with all due respect to like Christian Dvorak and Nick Schmaltz, right. while they have shown glimpses, they can be a number one center or number two center. They haven't shown enough where, okay, they're concrete number one, number two centers. We know what they are at this point. We don't. We still need to see more from them before we can make that decision, which bodes well for Barrett Hayton because, you know, he could hopefully emerge as that guy, perhaps. Maybe that's what they're hoping for. Um, if you take a look at his final OHL season, keep in mind he only played in 39 games in his final OHL season. And as captain of the Greyhounds in Sault Ste. Marie, he scored 26 goals, 40 assists, eight power play goals, five shorthanded goals, while registering 158 shots and taking 717 face-offs. You almost doubled that over a 68-game season. You're looking at at least 40 to 45 goals, 55 to 65 assists, maybe more than that, well over 1,000 draws, well over 200 shots, well over 100 points. Yeah. And that really caught Arizona's attention. They're just like, okay, didn't play a full OHL season, but we like what we see. We're going to take a chance on this guy. Um, so, well, actually, no, that actually happened. That that actually happened the year after they drafted him. So, if anything, that validated why they took him so high. Right. Um, I think moving forward, he's probably, like I've said with Zegras, probably get at least a year or two of AHL conditioning just to have him like dominate yep. and then bring him up to the pros when he's ready. You don't want him averaging 11 minutes of ice time per game and just grinding it out. That's not how you're going to develop a number one center. You need right. to give him the opportunities to be successful. On that note though, it's like, it is, it is interesting considering that like, like Dylan Strome, they messed up the development of him. Um, yeah, so. good point. So I wonder how they're going to deal with that. But, like, on the other hand, like, they didn't really mess up the development of Connor Garland. He's kind of made a smooth transition um, into the NHL. So it's, like, I guess it's two sides of the coin there. But, yeah, I, I do agree with you that if you have a lot of potential in a Barrett Hayden, uh, you should put him in, like, the HL and don't rush him into the NHL. Like, learn from your mistakes and don't do what you did for Dylan Strome. Um, uh, and so the next guy we're going to talk about is Victor Soderstrom, um, which is kind of interesting, too, because the next year, they kind of did a, a little bit of similar thing that they did with Hayden in the year before that. Um, although they, were, they had the 11th pick, it wasn't as big of a deal. But um, Soder, and Soderstrom was kind of like, you know, you could make a case for Soderstrom being picked 11th. But at the same time, you had Cole Caulfield there. You had Cam York there, Spencer Knight maybe, um, even Matthew Boldy, who all went. Um, those were the last four that were taken a after Soderstrom was 
drafted. So um, you can make a case that maybe Soderstrom uh, could have been that guy. But um, it seems like uh, Soderstrom's been doing all right um, in the SHL. Again, we've mentioned before that you don't really know what um, it's like in terms of like, cause SHL stuff is you're playing against older men. Um, and he's, and for a defenseman at that, he's doing pretty well. Uh, he had 16 points in 35 games, um, in the SHL, uh, which is pretty good considering the fact that, like I was mentioning these, this is like a legitimate professional hockey league. So, um, he's doing pretty well in, in a league with a bunch of, 30 and 20 year olds there um and then he really shined in the world juniors uh when he had six points in seven games um as a defenseman as well so he's he's been pretty good especially considering that we mentioned the fact that uh like pretty much long term oel and jacob chikrin are the only two defensemen that arizona has uh past 2021 2022 so um i could see what they're what arizona is going to do is they're going to send him to tucson next year um or and maybe give him sometimes even in the pros next year and then see how it goes and um they have a lot riding on him as well considering that he was drafted 11th overall pick and there was a lot of guys um that they could have picked instead um, but they went with Soderstrom. And so um, maybe Cheka is uh, is really smart if if they do this right. Yeah, if they do this right, he will look very, very smart. And hopefully they do. Yeah. Um, because Victor Soderstrom, not only was he picked 11th overall, they traded up to get him. I believe he was That's that right. pick with Flyers property. They traded it up, and then they selected... Uh, Victor Soderstrom with that 11th overall pick. That's right, yeah. So, e- even even more so how badly they wanted this guy. Um, again, they hark back to evaluating European talent is tougher than evaluating junior hockey because, again, sometimes you're playing in a man amongst boys league. The good news for Victor Soderstrom and I do agree with you that probably a year of AHL hockey will do him some good just to get used to the North American style um, that he hasn't been used to. The good news for Victor is that he's got another Swedish defenseman in his corner, and it's a very good one named Oliver ekman Larson. He can take the time necessary to help him learn the North American game before turning pro, and then... Victor can happily pick apart OEL's brain when he's being matched up against the NHL's best players. What's also interesting is that both shoot on opposing sides. So you could have OEL and Victor Soderstrom in a couple of years on the same D pairing. If you really wanted to, you could make that happen. Yeah. So I'm interested to see what the Coyotes do there if if that becomes a pairing in a couple of years. Yeah, that should be interesting too. Um, but maybe that's something that they're going to address. I guess the other thing to note too is that Arizona doesn't have a first round pick because of that Taylor Hall trade. So, oh, yeah. um, so that's going to be kind of interesting too. So they're kind of stuck with the prospects they have for the moment. Um, 
And then, so the next guy is someone that Steve really wanted me to mention here. Uh, his name is John Janik. Um, he's no surprise, he's in the OHL. Um, he has 56 points in 27 games for Ham the Hamilton Bulldogs. I believe that's Arthur Kellyev's team as well. Um, I, ding, ding. Yeah, so uh, I'll leave this to you because you really wanted to talk about him. So I'll, um, what, what do you have about him? So from 2013-14 to 2017-18, a span of five years, this guy was making good strides as an under-16 and as an under-18 uh, in his native land of the Czech Republic. And the Czech 2 league took a bit of time for him to adjust from 2017 to 2019. And it was only until he joined the OHL's Hamilton Bulldogs um, halfway through 2018-19 where things really started um, to just click for this kid. Um, his first OHL game, January 9th, 2019, against the Saginaw Spirit, he went pointless, won 8 of 13 draws, went on to register 11 multi-point games over the 27 contests he played last year. And he finished the season with 13 goals, 17 assists, 81 shots, 30 points overall, and just a single power play goal. And he also won 141 of 322 faceoffs, so he was getting plenty of chances in the faceoff dot as well. Again, join the team halfway through, and he does that, and they make the playoffs. So he plays a very pivotal role in a period of time where he was basically just thrusted into the situation in a top six role, and he's expected to deliver, and he does. I love to see guys that just flourish in, in that kind of spotlight. It's great. Uh, this year, if you thought that was pretty good, this year he was flat out dominant, given the small sample size. He owns the longest point streak in the OHL this season. And it should be noted Marco Rossi of the 67s, you'll hear about him a lot in the past couple in the next couple months, rather. He had a pair of point streaks that went into double digits. Neither of those streaks came close to matching Yan Yannick's. In Yan Yannick's first 26 games, he recorded a point in every single one. He picked up 22 goals, 34 assists, and 56 points. In game 27, December 7th against Mississauga, he went pointless. His point streak ended. He goes to the World Juniors. He gets hurt. Doesn't play again. Yeah. So given the small sample size i really believe that in the 18 months he's been in the ohl if he continues to do this um next year once he gets to the ahl this could be a real nice diamond in the rough prospect for arizona that could have a bright nhl future ahead of him it's just up to him to make those strides yeah, that, that is a good way of putting it, like a diamond-in-the-rough type player, um, something that we can look forward to in the coming months or, you know, coming years. Um, I And like like we mentioned before, like Barrett Hayden, it's not like um, Arizona is full of forwards um, other than Kessel and uh, Clayton Keller. So, um, so they're, they're pretty much... 
every other position is kind of up for grabs for them. So, um, yeah, maybe Yannick, maybe not like next year, but um, it'll depend on how he does in the AHL. But I could see him being maybe a top six player as well, just because of how short-staffed Arizona is uh, up front. Um, all right, so now we have uh, Ivan Provostov. This is going to be our first goalie we're going to talk about. Um, he uh, So the interesting thing about Arizona is, is that they have two good goalies in Antiranta and Darcy Kemper. But like I mentioned before in the Cap Friendly page, um, you know, both of them are injured often. Um, and Anti Ranta is going to be UFA in two years. Kemper is going to be a UFA in three years. And then insert Ivan Prosvestov. Um, I guess you also have Eden Hill who has his moments in Arizona. But um, uh, for uh, Tucson, Ivan Profistov has, uh, in 27 games, he has a 2.88 GAA and a save percentage of 9.09. Um, he also played in the ECHL for the Rapid City Rush this year for five games. He had a 2.4 GAA and a save percentage of 9.30. Of course, it's different in the AHL or not. Um, and then um, last year, he played for Saginaw. Um, in the OHL, and, and in those 53 games, he had a, a GAA of 2.94 and a 9.10 save percentage. Um, the thing with goalie prospects is that you really ha have no idea. I mean, other yeah. than, I guess, like, Shesterkin, we all knew he was going to be pretty good. Carter Hart's another one. Um, you know, it's hard to really tell how good a goalie is just because um, if you put the goalie in net for longer um like when they're not ready uh that's that could ruin a kid's life um and their and their confidence entirely so you have to be really careful with goalie prospects especially just because like goalies mean so much um in the game so uh the interesting thing here though is is that you already have two goalies already Antti Ranta is 30 years old, Darcy Kemper is 29 years old, so it is about time to start thinking about what goalies um, they sh like should be the goalie of the future. Um, and I, I, I would say that Provostov will be like a starter sometime, but um, it is really tough to say because I can't fully uh, commit to that just yet. <laughs> Yeah, you need to have, you need to have more of a substance in yeah. in the AHL and at the pros especially. Um, you take a look at his regular season stats in Saginaw compared to his postseason stats. His postseason stats were even better last year. I yeah. think his GAA was around two point three, two point four, and save percentage was like nine twenty, nine thirty. Played very, very well. There was a part in the conference finals against Guelph where he lost his cool and actually got suspended a couple of games and didn't finish out the series. And the Saginaw Spirit blew a 3-1 lead in the series to Guelph and they lost in seven games. So 
the concern that I have for Ivan Prosvitov is when things are going well, how's he going to respond? What's his composure level going to be like? And that's ultimately going to determine whether he succeeds or fails. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I think that's going to be what we're going to say for every goalie prospect we come across. But yeah, that is a yeah, good one. Yeah, true. Just knowing that incident alone, yeah. he, can, he can be a loose cannon when he's mad. And we saw it a little bit with Robin Leonard, you know, when he, when he gets a little bit rattled, it can sometimes go off the rails a little bit. But he's been able to control that uh, in recent years and he's been a better goalie because of it. So there are some things that Prospetov needs to work on outside of his game, I think. But if he can do that, I think he can definitely take his game to the next level and he will definitely have a future if he continues to improve on that every year. Yeah. Uh, so the last prospect we're gonna talk about here in Air for Arizona um, is Braden Burke. But uh, first off, I just want to mention that I was thinking of talking about Matthias Metzeli, who's been pretty good in La Liga. Um, also, John Farinacci has also been pretty good for Harvard uh, this year mm -hmm. as well. But um, it seems like Braden Burke has, is already in the AHL, um, and he has he's more likely going to be we're going to see him in three years compared to the other guys I just talked about. So we're going with Braden Burke here. Uh, the interesting thing about him is is that like uh, so he get like let's just forget the the time he was in the WHL, but um, he had uh, so last year he was in the AHL. Um, he had 33 points in 67 games, and then this year. He's been phenomenal. He has uh, 52 points in 51 games. So, like, there's some switch that just happened where he has all of a sudden really been really good. Um, I guess I can mention the time he was in the WHL because I'm seeing here. He had 113 points in 63, 61 games in the 2017-2018 season uh, for Moose Jaw. Um, and, and so that's nothing to, uh, to sneeze at. Um, and then in the playoffs that year, he had 21 points in 14 playoff games. So um, something happened last year in the AHL where he wasn't as good for some reason. Um, but he could, be, um, he could be someone to watch for. Um, I'm also looking here that he is 5'10". So maybe that's a big reason why he, and he's also 23 years old. So that's probably a big, like his size and his age are probably something that um, is why people are a little bit hesitant on. And that makes sense. Um, but also like I could see him um, like being in the league next year, uh, just based off of how he did in the AHL. Um, but like also, you know, guys like Connor Garland, Clayton Keller, they're all pretty short. I think Nick Schmaltz is also pretty short too. Um, so like, I think Arizona is the perfect place for short players to be in because of guys like, uh, Clayton Keller and Connor Garland who have been able to, um, manage that, like, or like they know how to develop those guys who are shorter than um, league average. Um, so 
Um, yeah, that's just something to, to mention about. And it is a little concerning, the fact that he didn't play so well in the AHL the year before that. But um, I, you can't really knock a point above point per game player um, this year. Yeah, it's it's a bit interesting with with this kid because yeah, he's five foot ten, also weighs one hundred and sixty pounds, kind of yep. light. Even for five foot ten, that's pretty light. True. Might explain why he went undrafted and actually signed a contract with the Coyotes. Um, if you take a look at some of his WHL stats, um, there were three times as a WHLer where he surpassed sixty assists in a season. There were actually two times where he surpassed 80 assists and 100 points as a WHL player, and he did that with uh, two different teams as well. Um, putting more of an emphasis on the AHL stats, like you were saying, Brett, um, Braden Burke is probably going to be the guy we're going to see the most out of uh, within the next three years. Um, he has 52 points in 51 games, point-per-game pace, 21 goals and 31 assists. Only 10 more shots on goal compared to year one. 13 power play goals on the season. Also has seven credited game winners too. So a big breakout season uh, with the Roadrunners. Hopefully that continues for Braden Burke. And uh, we'll see him in the big league sooner rather than later. Yeah, I would imagine we'll see him next year. Um, because if he's been like, but like, you're right. We could see him play another year in the AHL to see if he can be consistent or to mm-hmm. find out which is the real one, the one last year in the AHL or the one this year in the AHL. So yeah. that could be kind of interesting. But size will be an issue. So the next team we're going to talk about um, is a team that's near and dear to my heart. Um, and it, given the old format, I probably I talked about them a bunch, a couple of these guys a bunch. Um, in years past during our Bruins send segments. But of course, we're going to talk about the Boston Bruins. Um, and we're, I mean, most of us, <laughs> we're, we're kind of aware of the cap situation. But just as a refresher here, uh, so next year, Tory Krug's going to be the big UFA, um, and they're going to have to figure that out. Uh, Zdeno Chara is also a UFA, and so is Joachim Nordstrom. Um, in terms of RFAs, you have Anders Bjork, Jake DeBrusque, and Matt Grizzlick. Um, oh, and also Yaroslav Halak is going to be a UFA that year, too. Um, and then the year after that, we have uh, David Krejci, Sean Corrali, Par Lindholm, and uh, Tuka Rask, which, by the way, we're, we'll not, we won't get into this yet, but Tuka Rask has mentioned that he may retire after this contract is over. So it'll be kind of interesting to see how that goes. But um, the Bruins would be screwed if that were to happen. Um, and then the RFAs um, in 2021, um, Andre Cache, Nick Ritchie, um, Ant- Anton Blith, um, and Brandon Carlo will also be RFAs. Oh, I also, uh, Kevin Miller is going to be UFA next year as well. I just missed that LTIR. Um, so... The first one I'm going to talk about is probably my favorite prospect of all time. Um, I hype him up so much. Um, is uh, Jack Stanicka. Um, he, uh, yeah, so he, last year um, I was really excited about him because he did really well in the World Juniors and Bob McKenzie was 
over the moon about him. Um, and the, a big reason why I'm so excited about him is because Boston, and I guess we should get this out of the way, a lot of the prospects for the Bruins are, or like the farm for the Bruins are not as comparable to uh, other teams in the league because they, in general, they've made the playoffs. They're a pretty good team already. And if you're, um, and they have like five of the top six uh, players are pretty much set for the long term um, in terms of like you have Bergeron, Pasternak, Brad Marchand, Krejci, um, and DeBrusque. Um, and then maybe Andre Caché, we'll have to see how he does um, if there is a playoffs or something, or even next year, we'll see how he goes. But um, And then Jake DeBrusque has been a little bit inconsistent, but for the most part, it is pretty tough to make it to the top six with, um, with those guys there. Having said all that, uh, Patrice Bergeron is 34 years old. David Krejci is going to be UFA in 2021 and is 33 years old. Um, and then you also have Brad Marchand, who's going to be 31 years old as well. Um, and they're all kind of in their prime, sort of out of their prime at the same time. So um, there is definitely room for the Bruins to uh, make room for their, their prospects. But... Um, their prospects aren't as good um, as other teams are um, because either they trade them away or they don't have a, a ton of high draft picks to begin with. Um, but having said that, I think Jack Sinica, uh will be uh, like a top in the top six or at least Krejci's uh, replacement. Of course, he can't replace Bergeron, but hopefully Astonica will be um, like a good comparable to, or someone that he can thrive to be um, and someone that Bergeron can mentor, mentor um, towards his back half of his career. Um, but Sinica has 49 points in 60 games for Providence Bruins and has really been on the map now. Um, I feel like beforehand only diehard Bruins fans and prospect nuts um, have heard of this guy. Um, but now... Like now that he's doing really well in Providence, um, you know, a lot of people have heard of him and are excited about him, um, particularly because the Bruins are a good team. So if he is in the top six, he'll probably get some um, point production that way as well. Um, and I believe I keep on seeing on Twitter uh, from some Providence Bruins people I follow that like Stanika leads the league in the AHL for uh, shorthanded points. Uh, like I keep on seeing all these highlights of him scoring these shorthanded goals or something, which is something that's uh, pretty impressive, of course, and something that fits the Bruins style where they value defense as well as offense or two-way uh, offense as well. Um, so yeah, I can't stop talking about him, but I am going to stop to make room for what Steve has to say about Jackson Nico. To add to your point about shorthanded uh, points, he had seven shorthanded goals this yep. year, which is a lot. Um, and uh, what I'm sure a lot of the pundits also don't know that uh, before Brett really fell in love with Jackson Nika, I kind of knew him first because <laughs> he played in the OHL of with the Ottawa Generals. And uh, his rookie season 
wasn't that bad. It was respectable. Um, year two is when he started to get good. Uh, 18 goals, 52 points, 152 shots. Um, took 403 faceoffs as a rookie. That more than doubled in year two. We get to 2017-18 where he gets 22 goals, 72 points, over 200 shots, um, five power play goals, four shorties, five game winners. Took over 1,200 draws in year three, one of the most active OHL faceoff men. In his final year with uh, Oshawa and Niagara, split right down the middle, three games apiece with uh, both teams. He took another 1,200 plus draws in his final year, um, getting traded out of Oshawa, getting put into a Niagara Ice Dogs lamp with a lot of potency offensively he got 12 power play goals 24 total goals in 30 games and 49 points with niagara overall in the season he had 36 goals and 83 points like you said able to continue that success into the ahl which is good i'd like to see more of it but again we get back to the point where the bruins have charlie coil that patrice bergeron yeah. until the uh, until People say otherwise. David Krejci is still in the picture right now. Right. There's no reason to rush Jack Stanika into this. They have all the freedom in the world to just let him develop naturally. And when he's ready to take the reins, he'll be ready and he won't disappoint. Yeah, I guess that's true. Like they, The Bruins do have a luxury that the Coyotes and the Ducks don't have in that they can't afford to not rush him and stuff. But at the same point, like, at the same time, Jackson Nicka could be ready right away. Um, he could play um, on the Bruins right now and still, you know, be a valuable asset for them, um, I feel like. Um, although that may be, just be me being very high on him. But, uh, but yeah, no, you're right. In terms of, like, all the other guys we were talking about, it would be a waste to put him in the lineup and just have him be on the third line or something like that. He deserves to be um, in a top two lines just because of how he's done. But he may, like, you know, outgrow the AHL. But, yeah, you're right. He We could probably see him um, in uh, – we'll, we'll definitely see him next year, but he'll probably be a, a – a, like a like, – we'll see him full time in the next the year after that or something like that. Um, all right. So now we are going to talk about this guy, um, uh, defenseman, uh, Uraho Vakanainen. Um, and the defense is a little bit, unlike the forwards, the defense is a little, is going to be a little bit different, um, next year. Uh, particularly because we don't know what Tory Krug is going to do. Um, he could sign. He could not sign. Uh, so Daniel Chara, um, even if he does sign for another year, um, he's 44 years old. He's going to be 44 years old next year. Yeah, the, clock, the clock's ticking. Everyone yeah. knows. Um, then you also have Kevin Miller, who's going to be a UFA. Uh, he's also been on the LTIR. So there's a lot of spots to fill for the Bruins um, in their lineup. Um, and it's pretty much like Charlie McAvoy, uh, Brandon Carlo, um, maybe some team's going to take John Moore, I hope. 
Uh, Matt Grizzlick's going to be an RFA. Jeremy Lazan has looked good. Um, but, you know, uh, we'll see. Um, and then uh, we have this guy. Let me try to – I'm trying to find him now. But um, why can't I find Erho Vakanine in here? Because he's not – here. Oh, because I'm looking at the HL stats. I'm an idiot. Um, sorry. Uh, <laughs> and give me one second. I'm still looking at the HL for some reason. Um, okay. And now I'm back here on the Bruins. All right, so uh, Urho Vakanainen has 54 points or in 54 games in the AHL. Um, he has nine, 14 points there um, in Providence. Um, and before you guys say anything, he's more known for his shutdown role instead of his um, offensive ability, uh, which is fine, uh, especially considering they have Tory Krug and Charlie McAvoy in the mix um, for the foreseeable future. Um, he's a left-handed defenseman, um, which would be where Tory Krug would be. But of course, it is a little different because Tory Krug's, you know, more offensive than defensive, whereas Urho is more defensive than he is offensive. Um, so it will be interesting to see how Bruce Cassidy handles that um, in the coming future. But um, I will say that I think the Bruins do need a couple of shutdown defensemen. And uh, if Urho is as good as they say he is, um, then I think uh, we'll probably see more of him um, next year, um, especially considering, especially if Tory Krug is not going to be a Bruin next year. Yeah, and... Um... The fact we just talked about Sedano Chera doing all the little things yeah. right, being a responsible defenseman. I feel like the Bruins need one of those two-way defenders. So he's probably going to fill that void uh, one way or another, whether it's uh, the departure of, well, maybe not so much the departure of Tory Crew, but probably the departure of Sedano Chera and how their defense kind of shakes up. Um, they recently signed a guy named Jack Akan who had 103 points in four seasons at St. Cloud State. You take a look at Vakanainen's numbers. They're not nearly that sexy, but he is an intelligent two-way defender. You need those two-way defenders to be successful, and the Bruins' defense has been able to be as good for so long because of their two-way play. Um, decent skating abilities, puck movement abilities, good, plays with confidence just a solid all-around guy and uh, definitely could learn a lot from the Boston Bruins. So I'm interested to see what Euro Vakanainen brings. Uh, I don't know if it's going to translate into a top four role on their defensive core. Um, if they'll even be, you know, a top player next year. It all depends. But um, there's, there's definitely a fair bit of upside for this kid and I'm interested to see where it goes. Yeah, I don't think we'll ever see him like win a Norris Trophy, but I, I this is where I disagree with him. You, I, I don't think he'll be a third pairing defenseman if he is in the league. 
Um, I could see him be maybe in the second pairing or the third, uh, the first pairing, but I don't, I, I, I just don't think, I think the Bruins do need some more two-way player defensemen um, like that. So, um, especially considering Krug, Chara, and Kevin Miller will likely be gone for um, next year, or at least two of those three. I don't see them assigning all three of them next year. Um, and also, you mentioned Jack Akan. Um, apparently, he's roommates. he was roommates with Charlie McAvoy um, oh, in the World go. Juniors uh, when Charlie McAvoy was in the World Juniors that year, too. So uh, they're buddies. And also, Tori Krug mentioned that he loves undersized college defensemen um, because Jack Akan is also an undersized uh, college defenseman, as well as Tori Krug, who was unsigned, as well as being in college and undersized as well. So, um, so that could be kind of interesting. If, but I don't think uh, Akan will be in the league. Um, for the foreseeable future. Um, all right, so the next guy we're gonna talk about, which actually sparked this whole thing because Jeremy Swayman, um, he's a goalie from University of Maine, he signed this extra level contract here. Um, and uh, and then we were talking about this and uh, Steve was saying like, yeah, it's not like the Bruins have a ton of prospects in their system, so he could, he could be pretty good. And then I was thinking like, oh, this could be a good idea to do while we're waiting for hockey to come back. So uh, Jeremy Swayman um, had an incredible year uh, for the University of Maine to the point where he got some Hobie Baker nominations. Um, so uh, he had, in 34 games, he had a 939 save percentage and a 2.07 GAA um, in 34 games. Uh, the only thing about that, though, is, I mean, other than it being in college, uh, but the other thing is, is the year before that, he had a 919 save percentage and a 2.77 GAA, which isn't bad, of course, um, in 35 games. But, like, to get, um, to have that big of a jump <laughs> next year is pretty uh, crazy, to say the least. Um I also was looking at the Boston Bruins Reddit page, um, and one guy said that, like, you know, you never really know about goalie prospects. It's kind of stupid to get excited about goalie prospects. But uh, from someone who has watched him play, he says that he's he was the best goalie he's seen in college hockey since Ben Bishop. So... That is, now I am kind of excited, even though I know I shouldn't be excited for a goalie prospect. Um, the reason why um, I am kind of excited is that also, like Tuka Rask has mentioned that he may retire um, after his contract ends. Um, and it's not like he's, even if he does play a couple more years, I hope he does, but it seems like it's more of a, like, he doesn't enjoy hockey as much anymore. Um, but even if he does play a couple more years, it would be good to have a goalie of the future. Um, and Yaroslav Halak is also going to be a UFA next year. He's been a big reason why Tuka Rask has had a big year this year as well. So, um, so that, but like I know that that duo is not going to 
be in their prime forever. So uh, I I think it would be cool to see like someone like Jeremy Swayman be that goalie of the future um, because Tuka Rask and Yaroslav Halak are not going to be those guys um, forever. Um, but at the same time, I do want to see what he does in the AHL um, first before I get really excited about him. Um, but he is definitely on my radar and something that uh, Bruins fans should get excited about. But keep in mind, Andrew Raycroft, um, there's been a couple of other goalie prospects, I'm sure, for the Bruins. But um, we should all keep in mind that, like, you know, it could go south pretty quickly. Malcolm Subban's another one. So, um, yeah. Uh, what do you say about Jeremy Swayman? There's Malcolm Subban. There's also Zane McIntyre yep, is no Zane longer McIntyre with the Bruins. Yeah. yeah. I blocked them out of my mind for some reason. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Matt O'Connor, remember? Oh, yeah, great yeah, yeah. college career, and then the Sens signed him, and it didn't work out. Yep. Yeah, it's a crapshoot. Right. But uh, for other cases like Ben Bishop, Makes that gamble worthwhile sometimes. Or Tuga Rask, even. He was the or first Tuga Rask, first. yes. Um, six foot two, not Ben Bishop tall, but still pretty tall, still decent size for Jeremy Swayman. Um, 15th amongst all NCAA goalies and goals against, 2.07, and that's only good for 15th. Um, plays in 34 games on top of that. If you take a look at his minutes, he's logged 2,060 minutes this year. Only four other NCAA goalies have logged more minutes in 2019-2020. Same percentage of 939, second best in the league. Dryden McKay of Minnesota State leads the way with 942. The catch is Dryden McKay has only made 761 saves, while Swayman has almost 1,100, more than enough to lead the NCAA in that category. And his record, with all of those stats being taken into account, an absolutely stunning 18-11-5. Yeah. <laughs> He's had a very, very, very good year, and there's a lot to be excited about. However, the previous two seasons makes me wonder, okay, what led to the massive drop in GA this year? Was it because he had a better defense in front of him? Who who really knows? Um, if he does continue to play S-level, though, the Boston Bruins are in very good hands. They've been looking for Tukaras 2.0 or just someone to adequately fill his shoes if and when Tuka says goodbye to Boston. It's inevitable. It's going to happen eventually it's just a matter of when and if it does happen this year um i'd probably look for a short-term fix of free agency because the last thing you'll want to do is rush a franchise goalie throw him into the fire and ruin his career yeah that's a good point um so hopefully i mean i think the bruins do have the luxury of uh taking their time with swayman but i think it's like before we get really really excited about him um we should just see how he does in the AHL before uh, hand. But yeah, I had forgotten about Zane McIntyre. I was excited about him too. So uh, we'll see. <laughs> I don't know. Um, all right. Uh, so the next guy we're going to talk about is John Beecher. Um, and uh, I remember, so he 
this we talked about this uh, when we talked about Breed and Tracy, but uh, this was also a part where uh, guys like Raphael Lavoie and Arthur Kaliev were still on the board, but uh, yep. the Bruins decided and went with John Beecher. Um, he had the year before that he. Or the, I remember your rea- I remember your reaction that day too, yeah. Brett, and uh, you were pretty puzzled. I was puzzled, yeah. Although I have changed my tune to it uh, since then, but yeah, I was I was pretty confused about what was going on um, in that situation, uh, particularly because it's not like the Bruins have a ton of prospects. But I will say that he has been pretty good um, in for the University of Michigan. Um, he has 16 points in 31 games. Not great, not terrible to be honest, but that's fine. Um, and then he he did play for the, in the World Juniors, but he had five. He only played five, uh, or just five games, but he didn't have any points there. Um, and then the year before that, he had forty three points in sixty three games. Um, apparently, I was reading about it, uh, and John Beecher has um, he got injured um, in that U.S. national team development program. Um, so that was a big reason why his numbers weren't great um, compared to like guys like Jack Hughes and Cole Caulfield and Trevor Zegers. But um, also uh, he had a minor surgery, shoulder surgery, um, in his freshman season in Michigan. Um, and then uh, he also has a bit of size to him and speed to him apparently. Um, that I'm reading here, um, and he has a bit of like a physicality, which is something that the Bruins love in their players. So, um, so I think this guy could be someone that could be pretty good for them, but I don't think he'll be. Um, we won't see him for at least like three years, um, because he's going to be a project, and he may play a couple more uh, seasons at Michigan. I could see that happening. Um, but um, it looks kind of promising, at least. Uh, so I, I am more excited about it. I do still wish I had we had drafted uh, Arthur Kaliev or Raphael Lavoie, but um, I I'm going to hope. I think I am a little bit more calm about this Johnny Beecher kid. Yeah, I think uh, in the case of Johnny Beecher, the Bruins are looking for a guy that fits their style of play that fits their mold, not who has the most talent. They're trying to figure out the Bruins mold here. And what I've seen from his scouting report is that he likes to play in front of the other goalie, which is obvious Bruins, you know, park your butt in front of the net, be very, very in your face to the goaltender. You're tough to dislodge once you get there. You need a lot of pesky forwards uh, to go to the net and create havoc. And yeah, Nick Ritchie does a little bit of that. But I think a little bit more of that down the lineup while staying disciplined um, is going to be key for uh, for John Beecher. Um, he, he's also got a good understanding of how to use his body to shield pucks and win battles along the boards. Again, another one of the fundamentals that makes a player like Patrice Bergeron 
so important. He can do the little things. It's not just shooting. It's not just passing. It's not just skating. It's not just reading the ice. Um, it's a lot of other things. And I definitely think whether it's a reliable coach or a depth winger, he does come back and um, and help the coach out. Um, there aren't anything about his numbers that blow me away, but I think that's the whole point. There's there's not much about his game that's supposed to blow you away. Yeah. I mean, I think that's He's fine, too. He's just a standard yeah. guy who does all the right. And I think that's fine, too, particularly for, like, the Bruins lineup, is they don't need necessarily someone who's going to be good right away, um, and they can afford to take a guy who's going to take a little bit of time to develop and stuff. So um, there is, of course, yeah. risk in that, of course. But, um, yeah, I think that is, I guess, the right play. Or I'm a little bit more okay with that pick than I was a year ago. Um, okay, and then the next guy is kind of in the same boat. Um, I remember when he was drafted, I was kind of confused about it, but because there was a guy named Alex DeBrincat um, still on the board, and I thought the Bruins should have drafted him instead. Um, but uh, he has been, he was pretty good uh, the next year after that. Uh, this is, of course, Trent Frederick, he had um, that drafted years. Now that we're getting there, uh, he had like 33 points in 30 games for the University of Wisconsin Badgers. Um, that that year he got drafted. So, oh no, sorry, it's 32 points in 36 games. Uh, the year that year he got drafted, um, and then he played for Providence for a bit. Um, and then, uh, so now take it to this year. Um, he's played a couple of games in Boston, but not a ton, really. Um, but he, uh, for the Providence Bruins this year, he has 32 points in 59 games. But that's not the biggest statistic to take from this. Um, he has 148 penalty minutes. Um, and supposedly, he's like a very big fighter, um, enforcer type, or just power forward guy. So, um, given that note... I think we'll, and that kind of plays into the type of player that the Bruins love um, in their guys is like the, the a bit of grit to them. And so I think Trent Frederick has some um, grit to him, but I don't think he'll ever be in the top six. I could see him being in the third line or just being a third line mainstay for, for a couple of years, but um, I don't know if he'll ever be, um, just given the role that they've given him. And I remember, like, even a scout said uh, when they drafted him that they see him more as a third-line grinder um, compared to uh, what they wanted him to be. Um, so I've already accepted that he's never going to be an Alex Debrincat, but it looks like he could be a legitimate player um, or someone who could make... Uh, some some plays down the line um, on the bottom six and for the Bruins in the future. Kind of reminds me a lot of a younger David Backus. You know, not afraid yeah. to drop the gloves, chip in offensively when required. A little bit of an offensive upside, even, but um, will do a lot of other things before scoring goals. You know, you stick up for his teammates if you need a fight to create a spark. He'll do that. Um, like almost 150 penalty minutes this yeah. year. That's that's just insane. 
Um, so I, I'm interested to see what happens with the Frederick. Six foot two, 203 pounds. So he definitely has that size that the Bruins uh, are looking for. And uh, again, just another guy that pisses you off. Yep. Um, I I was just reading the hockey news and they suggested that maybe because the Bruins have a lot of centers already in their system that they could see Trent Frederick move to the wing um, yeah. so uh, to make room for him. And that's something I could see happening for sure. Um, but especially since we have Charlie Coyle still there, um, who's going to be a third line center or something. So um, yeah, it'll be someone to, to pay attention to maybe. But... <laughs> Um, all right. Uh, that about does it for us. Um, yeah, I hope you enjoyed that. I hope you guys are staying inside. I don't know. Um, my lace them up is our iTunes is on iTunes. I can't speak for some reason. Spotify. It's on Spotify, SoundCloud. Um, our Facebook is lace them up. Our Twitter is lace up podcast. Just bring back hockey. Um, I'm Brett Dubuff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll keep bringing the prospect talk in episode 213 of the Lace Em Up podcast.